So today's message I entitled, Get a Grip for the New Year, or Regrip for the New Year. <laughs> I was thinking about titling, Get a Grip. <laughs> I don't know why, but I thought, well, that's, that's too condescending. That's too bold. We use that on people, though, don't we? We're like, get a grip, you know? They're not focused or they're distracted. And we're like, come on, pull it together. Uh, wow, but um, I decided to rephrase it. I guess my pastoral gifts kicked in and... Let's call it regrip for the new year rather than get a grip. Um, you know, it feels like these last couple of years we've been driving in a fog. I mean, can you relate? I don't know if you've driven in the fog. Hopefully you didn't come here driving in the fog. But driving in a fog is rough. Because, I, you know, I don't know if you know this. If you didn't know it, then try it out and see what happens. But it's really not good to use your high beams in fog. It's better to use the lows. I don't know why that is, but you can just see better with the lows on than the high beams. And yet, uh, fog is intense. It wears you out. Because you, you, especially if you're not familiar with the road or the surroundings, you know, you're just, you, you're driving along and, and then you all of a sudden see a car in front of you you didn't see. You, you hear that this week? There was 200 car pile up in China on a bridge because of the fog. I mean, I saw the pictures. It's crazy. I mean, cars crash and trucks. 200 cars because of the fog. Before I started pastoring, I was uh, working for a manufacturing company, and I traveled around the United States, and I happened to be in Minnesota. I was driving a Lincoln Continental. Now, in the 1980s, they called that an upgrade. <laughs> you could drive a Lincoln, man. Go to the rental place, and we always got the mid-grade, and you want a Lincoln? Sure. So, uh, yeah, today you have to have a fuel truck falling around. They don't call, they don't call that an upgrade. And uh, I was driving, I'd never been there before, I was driving in the fog, in this Lincoln, and late at night, it was rough, and I got to a city, and it had street lights up and down the street, and I was like, ah, oh, I could relax, I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus, I can see, and this car whipped around behind me, and all of a sudden, blue lights came on, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, and a cop gets out, and he was mad, what are you doing speeding in the fog, I'm like, no idea. I'm just grateful that I could see. I didn't know I was speeding. And uh, sure enough, I got a ticket, my only ticket in Minnesota. So, uh, yeah, crazy stuff happening. So I was just glad I could see it, didn't know I was speeding. You know, I was uh, talking about getting a grip. I was um, looking at how much we have to grip things as we go through it. You think about that? I mean, uh, for instance, I just kind of made a short list. You grip the steering wheel. You grip doorknobs. You grip pickle jars. Well, <laughs> usually the men, right? That's, that's why women need men to open pickle jars. <laughs> uh, utensils. You grip utensils. In sports, what do you do? You grip a golf club. That's pretty important. Your grip. You grip a football. You grip a gun. You grip in bull riding. <laughs> yeah, hang on, right? If you've ever climbed a tree or climbed a mountain, your grip is pretty important, isn't it? You lose your grip, what do you do? You fall. It's not fun. If you're a mechanic, you have a wrench and you grip that bolt and it always comes off on a cold day, right? <laughs> Never fails. If you're in a tug of war, you're gripping the rope, trying to pull the other team across the line. So, but the ultimate is the death grip on a handshake, right? You had those? Somebody, you know, shaking your hand for the first time and uh, the death grip. 
They're like so happy to see you and they're squeezing you and the, all the blood's coming out of your hand and there's no feeling in it. You're like, ah, and they're so happy to see you and they won't let go. You're like, ah, and finally they let go and you're like, ah. <laughs> you had that happen, right? Or maybe you are the one given the death grip. <laughs> oh. Or the other option is you offer people a fish. It just kind of flops around. <laughs> like, Come on, can't you do better than that? So in between the fish and the death grip is a good handshake. Yeah, well, my purpose today was not to talk about fog or death grips. Uh, we're going to talk about getting a grip on the new year, all right? And I'm in... Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. It's interesting that God led Dan there as well. Uh, maybe the most prophetic thing this morning is I ended up in chapter 3, and this is 2003. So that's the best I can come up with. Wanda, I'm sure she'll pick me up after that. That's just great. So Philippians chapter 3, and uh, Paul is writing to us how to get a grip. And I think there's some things that we can really learn and, and remember. Before I read that, he, he starts out this chapter with this, this phrase in, um, in verse 1. He said, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. So what I'm going to say this morning is probably not necessarily going to be a new revelation for you. It might be said in a fresh way. It might be said in a way that God's speaking to you, but it's really not anything new. Okay? And Paul, Paul recognizes that to his audience. And I'm not, not going to write to you anything new. But I am writing to you again to remind you. And as I remind you, it's going to be a safeguard for your life as we walk into another year. I mean, he didn't say that. He was in jail. But for us today, that's how we're going to put it in setting for us. And so he says, I'm writing to you not anything new, but as a safeguard. Let's pick up in verse 7 of Philippians chapter 3. He says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have been made perfect, but I press on, and here's the grip part, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Brethren, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards that which is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Verse 15. All of us who are mature should take such view of these things. 
And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. Wow. What a, what a new year passage for us to get a grip on what God has for us in this new year. I want to start out by saying this. Number one, what rationale do we use in thinking that we are gaining in life? What rationale? What measure? How do you measure whether or not you're gaining in life? You're a success. Whether or not you're drawing closer to God. How do you measure that in your own thinking, in your own process? The Apostle Paul said in verse 7, Whatever was to my profit, in other words, how I previously thought I was gaining... After I met Christ, all that which I thought accumulated, measured my success, became a loss as compared to knowing Christ. That's pretty stark, isn't it? To think that all the ways, what, what was he doing? Well, if you read the previous verses that I left out, Paul was proud of the fact that he was from the tribe of Benjamin, he, was, he had a lot of letters after his name because he was like educated to the fullest extent. He was actually living the law in a jealous, uh, I mean a zealous manner in which he absolutely, anybody that didn't agree with him, he'd put him in prison or get him killed. I mean he was zealous for who he thought the Lord wanted out of his life. He thought that made him a success. You can read that in the previous verses. And suddenly he met Christ. And he said, that stuff doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't compute. He calls it rubbish. Some translations calls it dung. We know what that is. And so Paul is pretty clear that the way that he thought previously, the rationale that he used of what was acceptable to God and got wanted out of his life, it didn't make a difference anymore. There was something better, something more real, something more profound and intimate that he wanted in his life rather than what he had before. You know, uh, Paul said that he's ready to get a, a new grip on someone new. Sometimes I have conversations with people and they aren't getting along. <laughs> Imagine that. And so... There's not always, but sometimes we'll be talking along and, and they'll be conversing over what they don't agree in and I'll stop and I'll say, okay, is there a sin issue here? And they'll go, I don't, I don't think so. Okay, it feels like that. Like you're wrong and you're right and you need to repent and you don't. So if it's not a sin issue, then what is it? Uh, I think we have two different perspectives of the same thing. In other words, that one person has a piece of the truth and the other person has a piece of the truth and they don't look like they agree but if you put them together in a God's perspective they actually match and fit. They're like, oh, okay. Again, a different rationale because we're, we're taught that or the, or the world, I'm going to get into it in a moment. The world and the flesh teaches us to think differently than being in Christ in the kingdom. 
And sometimes we don't realize that the world has taught us in a way to, uh, you know, be a success and what it means to, to be. And religion has taught us how to be acceptable with God and yet fake it until we think we're making it and we're not making it. But then in the kingdom, that's a whole different way of thinking that Paul's trying to bring to our mind and he wants us to get a grip in regards to it. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 tells us these three different ways of, of measuring how we succeed. And John writes in 1 John, he says, Do not love the world or anything of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's pretty bold, isn't it? Now, he's not speaking about the trees and the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees. He's not speaking about that in relation to the world. He's thinking about how the world thinks morally about how to be a success. That's what John's bringing out here. He goes on to say, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful men, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God will live forever. There we go. Three different measures. Which one do you and I use? And sometimes we're weeding our thinking out sometimes daily. But in verse 15, it says the world. The world thinks a certain way. The world has a certain morality. What are they, how does the world think? The world says, if I'm going to gain, I must take advantage of someone else. If I, uh, I can do something illegal just so I don't get caught, I can buy my way out of my mistakes. I can manipulate others so that I can get ahead. That's the system of the world. That's how the world thinks they get ahead. By trampling on others. And then we have the flesh. Hallelujah. The flesh. Verse 16. It says. It lists three things there. The lust of the eyes. The, the, uh, um, here we go. Let's just go for it here. It says the cravings of sinful man. The lust of the eyes. And the boasting of what he has and don't have. You know there's this new term. Of, of what the flesh is really about, which is really just about self, self-centeredness. And this new term called narcissism, right? You've heard that one? It's kind of all over the place, narcissism. That's, that's, a, that's a really interesting word, isn't it? I mean, you hear that word, narcissism. It reminds me of a bulldog shaking a cloth, like, narcissism. You know, that, it's kind of what that word, that's the word picture I get. <laughs> but it's all about self. It's all about me. And if you've, you've ever been around somebody that is all they do is talk about themselves and what they're doing and whatever, and they never ask a question about you or what you're doing, and sometimes narcissistic people can actually be nice to you because they have an agenda to take advantage of you, and so they start being nice to you in order to take advantage of you later. Sometimes we fall into that trap. Oh, they're being nice today. Oh, just wait. Again, it's a way of being successful, they think, is they're, they're trying to get their way out of you make you conform to them it's a way of thinking and so then we finally get to verse 17 and this is a third level that John and Paul wants us to get a grip about in the new year and that is he says those two other ways of thinking or measuring success will pass away they're going to fade but the one that does the will of God will last forever 
That's the one that you want to go for. You want to find out the will of God, and you want to go for that. And that's the one he wants us to get a, a grip on today as we come into 2003. Number two, the grip that we need for a new year. Paul says this, and I would, I would employ that this is the grip that I want in my life, and I recommend that we go for it together. Here's what he says. He says in verse 10 and 11, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and becoming like him in his death so that somehow to obtain the resurrection of the dead. Now, I'm going to explain that last phrase because it's really out there. But let's go for the other two first. So it, what's the grip we need for the new year is to gain more intimacy with Christ through faith. Gain more intimacy with Christ through faith. Again, I'm telling you, I'm not telling you something new, but I'm sharing something that needs to be repeated over and over again for your safeguard. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know Christ. I want to know it through faith, not through doctrine. I want to know it through faith, not through your opinion. I want to know it through faith. There's a difference. You know, I, I really have been disappointed. Not, not at you that are gathered here, perhaps watching online. I've really been disappointed at the church at large in their level of faith these last two years. It's been disheartening. It's been grievous our level of faith that we would actually allow I'm not saying be rebellious but actually allow to ourselves to think like the government and some that are interpreting science say that we need to think that just appalls me that why we would go to that level that the church of Jesus Christ isn't promoting in this time that God is a healer and God is a protector and I didn't hear that coming through a lot. It didn't in this house, because that's just who one and I are. But the fact is, the church at large, it didn't come through. Oh, no, we need to be safe. Oh, no, we need to protect. Oh, no, we need to do what Fauci needs to. Yes, I said the name out loud. Fauci needs to do rather than the faith of God. And I'll admit to you, there's times that I got fearful. There's times that I was saying, what am I doing? But yet at that time, I didn't stay fearful. I ran back to the Word of God. I got intimate with Jesus. And I came out with more faith to stand to say, no. You, do, you, 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 uh, let me get this out. You planted us as a church, as a representation of Jesus Christ here on this earth. Why don't we rise up and act like it? Amen? Wow. Again, I didn't hear that, uh, <clears throat> you know, there's just a lot of, of reality of how sometimes churches were operating more out of how the world taught them to think and even the flesh taught them to think rather than how faith called them to think. And that's what we have to recognize. The world had a grip on us. Our flesh had a grip on us. We were afraid. 
But faith stands up and says, okay, this is how the world thinks. This is how your flesh thinks. But this is how I think. Come up to where I'm at and get a hold, get a grip, and walk that way. It was a couple of years ago. I think it was in 2021. I was listening to a prominent prophet, and he said this. He said that COVID was pushed down from the second heaven into the first heaven, the realm in which we live. He said, I don't know whether it was planned or premature or, or, or how that happened. The Lord gave me insight about that. But it was pushed down from the second heaven, which is where the demonic realm is, into the first heaven. And he said, I don't believe that this is the last trial that the church will endure before Jesus returns. He says, in fact, I think the next 10 years there's going to be incidences that are going to be pushed down from the second heaven. But this is what he said that got my attention. And when that happens, he said the enemy is going to say, hey, church, what you going to do about it? How are you going to handle this one? Wow. That got my attention. Because I think there's going to be many opportunities to exercise our faith in the years to come. Dan said that during his, his communion meditation this morning. I think that's exciting. <laughs> I really do. I think that's incredibly exciting. Until I start thinking like the flesh. And then I get afraid. Or until I start thinking like the world, then I want to fight. But as I stay in faith, then I'm like, wow, let's go, God. You're incredible. You're the same. You're limitless. You're, you, what word did you use? Timeless. Yeah. Limitless is good, too, but timeless was the word. Are you guys with me today? Are we, are, are we doing all right? Sweet. All right. So the first thing is that we need to um, get a grip on is to gain more intimacy with Christ through faith. The second thing is to invite Christ to intervene more quickly. To invite Christ to intervene more quickly. Let me ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand or say I'm guilty or I do it all the time. But when you encounter a problem in life, how long is it before you pray? You have a relationship problem. You have a problem at work. You have a, you, you know, somebody did you wrong. How long is it before you invite the Holy Spirit to show you what Jesus would do in that situation, what the Father once done. How long do you wait? Let's get a grip, church. Let's pray more quickly. People oftentimes think I'm religious because when we have a problem, I pray. I never want to get to the place where I've accumulated enough experience or enough theology or enough whatever to that I don't need to pray. I don't want to get to that place. I, even if I encountered something similar, I still want to pray because God always has a fresh understanding about that problem and that situation that I haven't seen yet because it's new to me, even though it might be similar to many other things I've experienced in the past. He always wants me to ask him. And then I'm not surprised because he gives me some amazing answers and direction. And when I don't pray quickly and I try to gut it out, guess what? It doesn't turn out too well. 
or gets prolonged. So let's invite Christ to intervene more quickly. Paul says in verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and being like him in his death. So what's it like, what's it mean to have fellowship with his sufferings? Lots of times you think, you know, maybe put in prison or this and that, but I, 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 really, I really think that this, this particular aspect could include the fact that you are standing for Christ and other people around you, including your family, don't agree with you. They think you're crazy. They think you're nuts. But you're standing for Christ. And you know who he is. And you know what he's told you. And you're standing at that place. And this suffering is the fact that they don't agree with you and you wish they would. And sometimes they make it miserable for you to remind you that they're not in agreement and you're just standing with Christ. Suffering's with them. That's what he did. He stood with his heavenly father. A lot of people didn't agree with him, including his own disciples at times. But he didn't give up. He stood. So will we stand? Question. You know, uh, my, uh, my pastor, Ron, some of you know him, and uh, he told me that he made a decision way back when he started ministry that he would never remarry a couple unless the previous ones that they were married to had gotten remarried. Does that communicate? He says, the reason I do that is I never want to give up hope that God can redeem. But if the others, the spouses they were married to, get remarried, then it's a done deal. But if they remain unmarried, I never want to bring two together because I always want to have faith that God can reconcile. Wow. Wow. That's the kind of people I want to hang around. Not that I would endorse that view, but I want to hang around people like that. You see, that's, a, that's what this last phrase means. It's kind of really odd in the way it's said. But essentially, it, it, it really means this. It means that uh, Paul is saying that I want to live my life that when other people have said, that's dead, I still believe God can raise it up again. That's what that verse means. Because the world, the way the world thinks is that's dead, you leave it. The flesh says it may wiggle, but it will never come back to the fullness of what God created it to be. That's what the flesh says. But the kingdom says God can take that which is dead and bring it back to full function and engage just like nothing ever happened to it. And that's what he's called us to believe. That things that the world calls dead, and the flesh says it might wiggle, but it'll never come to life for long, that we choose to believe that that which everybody else has given up on, we still believe. And again, there might be some qualifiers along the way, but you get the point. Here we go. Number three. 
the grip we must never let go of. Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 12, the end, he says, I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. There's two holds in that verse. One is God's hold, and the second is our hold. And both are important for us to understand these, these grippings here. And as we walk through these things, we have to ask the question, well, if God has a hold of me, does he ever let go? Some of you are shaking your head no. Well, let me let the word speak for itself, all right? And you probably, when I get done, you'll probably go, oh, okay. There is a, a time that God will let go. Let's discover what that is. 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. Paul said, here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. You give up your life, you'll get his life. That's the way it works. You give up following the flesh, following the world, you will get life and power and joy and peace like never before. But you've got to give up that in order to you know, follow what he has. So... If we died with him, we will live with him. Here he says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. So when you persevere through, you're going to get the crown of victory. Whatever that is. You persevere through, he says, you will reign with me. All right, now we're getting to the two grips. He says, if we disown him, he will also disown us. That's when he lets go of his grip. When we say, God, I don't need you anymore. I don't want you anymore. Get out of my life. God says, okay. He lets go of the grip because we ask him to. But here's the last one. He says, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. What does that mean? It means that all of us walk through, Dan shared it this morning, all of us walk through moments of weakness in our life. We haven't necessarily, uh, God hasn't let go of us, but we've, we've in a sense let go of him, not in a moment of rebellion, but in a moment of weakness. We're struggling to find hope. We're struggling through life. We've encountered something that's huge, and in that process that 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 we have let go of God, not out of rebellion, but out of weakness. He says, if you are faithless, he will remain faithful. He won't let go of you. That's good news too. And so we can be assured at that. The only time God lets go of us, even if we let go of him, is when we say, God, release me. And many of us probably wouldn't do that. So you can be rest assured that God's hand's on you even when you don't feel like it. All right? God's got a grip on us. So how do we then walk through this? First of all, let's walk in reality, all right? Paul says, let's walk in reality. Verse 12 says this, Not that I've already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Jesus Christ took hold of me. I love that. 
Paul said, I got a re-grip on God. <laughs> I was losing my grip. The world was coming in. The flesh was coming in. But I've got a re-grip on him. He said, I'm going to take hold of him again. So let's walk in reality. Let's realize where we're at. Let's don't try to cover it up. Let's, I'm struggling right now. Or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on top of the world right now. Let's just be real. Let's walk in reality. Let's don't cover it up. Stay where we're at. Not that we want to stay there. Religion covers it up. Hides it. Fakes it. That's not what we do in the kingdom. We say where we're at. And then we seek God together for him to change it. Regrip your grip. That's the second thing. Regrip your grip. Kind of redundant. I get that. Verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet taking hold of it. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I think the apostle Paul meant by that. It's not that you throw away the foundations that you've built with. But you look back and you say, wait a minute, that didn't work last year. That didn't work the year before. That didn't work the year before that. And therefore, I'm not going to try to practice that again this year because it didn't work the previous year. You know, sometimes we have things that we learn because of what we failed at. And we say, I'm not going to repeat those. I'm going to move on to something, forgetting what's behind. Don't beat yourself up because you failed last year or you drew away last year or whatever happened last year that didn't go according to God's plan in your life as you understand it. Don't beat yourself up about it. He said, no, I'm going to pursue what's in front of me, not beat myself up for what I can't do anything about behind me. And so he's getting a new grip on God. You know, how do you, um, one of the things that, that happens in, in re-gripping is you have to stretch your faith. All right? So how do you stretch your faith? One of the simplest things you can do to stretch your faith is put yourself in an uncomfortable situation. Yeah. Ow, we don't like that, do we? Except when we're in charge of it, right, Dan? Yeah. <laughs> Put yourself in an uncomfortable situation. Volunteer for something you wouldn't normally do. Talk to people you wouldn't normally talk to. Go on a mission trip to a foreign nation that you've never been to before. That'll stretch your faith. Always stretches mine. I remember when God was uh, talking to me about using one of the gifts of the Spirit called uh, words of knowledge. And I'd never, never operated in words of knowledge. I'd, I admired people that did. And God says, now I want you to do that. I'm like, no. God, it's not me. Wait a minute. The gift is inside of you. I want you to practice it. No, God, I don't want to do that. Well, I gave in and gave up. And God says, no, the purpose is that I can show my love through that gift. And I go, oh, okay. So I started practicing. Not that, it, you know, happens a lot, but when it happens, it's amazing. But I was uncomfortable. I still am uncomfortable. All right. <laughs> but that's okay. That's a part of humility. It's being uncomfortable, but it stretches your faith. Focus on the future. Paul says in verse 14, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What's the prize? The prize is knowing Christ. The prize is standing in faith for what the world and the flesh have given up on. And finally, seeing that dead things can rise again. That's what it means to get the prize. 
many people would consider the future bleak right now. This is where we're at as a country, a nation, uncertainties. Nobody's singing anymore. Don't worry, be happy. Everything's going to be all right. Haven't heard that song in a long time. But God is. <laughs> That's a good song. But our future's bright. It's not bleak. Our future's bright. It's not bleak. I'm totally jazzed about 2023. Really. I think I'm going to pick up some of the uh, themes that I was uh, preaching in in November about generous God and preach those in January. Uh, kind of a, maybe a little different angle, but I'm looking at source material. My spirit is leaping, excited. One of the things I want to uh, talk about is just the goodness of God because I think we have a lie that we believe that in sometimes, in some ways, God is not good. And if, if my heart and God's heart would be anything like it would take that lie and run it out of town and run it out of your head and not ever have it come in again that God's not good not compromising that we're all sinners saved by grace not compromising that at all but knowing God is good God's good because he provides a way out alright that's, that's next week Okay, <laughs> let's finish up this week All right. <laughs> Uh, February, we're going to jump in and talk about marriages. I got a scheduled a friend of mine and his wife are coming to do a marriage conference. Do you know that when you stood at the altar and you said, I do, that there was baggage of identity that both of you carried about how you expected that marriage to go? The moment you said, I do, at that altar, you had, you had an identity bag you were carrying, both of you, about how you expected that marriage to go. And lots of times we never ever lose that identity that we learn from our parents or those around us or maybe the church culture that we are in. And we never examine that and say, that's baggage. I want to be like Christ to my husband or my wife. That's going to be amazing. It's going to be February the 18th. So uh, definitely put that in your calendar. It's going to be phenomenal. God's, uh, you know, showing me some speakers we need to bring in to get equipped and different things. So uh, I'm excited about the year. It's going to be great. Number four, not everyone will agree with you, but make sure God does. Boy, isn't that good? When you regrip on God, not everybody's going to agree with you. Not everybody's going to see it. Not everybody's going to be happy about it. But you're just going to take a regrip on God, knowing God and the power of his resurrection and fellowship with his sufferings and, and calling things that are dead back to life again. Not everybody's going to agree with it, but just make sure that God does. I think that's so critical and key as we walk through life and stretch don't pull some If somebody's in faith about something, don't pull them down. Maybe you're not in faith for them about what they're in faith for, but don't pull them down. Don't, don't, don't pour cold water on their fire of faith. Say, man, I don't see it in the same way, but you're fired up and I'm, I'm grateful and I'll pray for clarity that I can jump in there equal with you at some point. I'm not there yet, but go for it and God's going to bless you what's on your heart. That's the way we need to be. We need to champion what other people are excited about rather than just what we're excited about. Well, that's going to be really good. I like that. So where do you need to regrip this morning? Here we go. What grid are you using for success? 
The world, the flesh, or the kingdom? What grid are you using for success? The world, the flesh, or the kingdom? I recognize that we, we all have a mix going on. I, I totally get that. But where's your heart? What are you pursuing? Question two is, uh, is it time to regrip? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death so to obtain the resurrection from the dead so that I call things that are not as to what they are. Number three, what do you need to take hold again? Some of us just need a reality check. Been operating in a facade for too long. Be encouraged that maybe you're in a point of weakness in life. God's not let go of you. You may feel like you have because of your weakness that you're working through. Whatever that is, he hasn't let go. And he won't let go unless you tell him to. And then he'll let go. He's a gentleman. Not everyone around you is going to agree, but make sure that you agree with God. Amen? Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for allowing us to stand on this first day of 2023 to worship you and to take inventory of our lives to ask ourselves, are we still driving in the fog or are we coming out? Coming out of the fog is a weary experience. Lord, I pray that if there's need for refreshing, that we would say, I need to be refreshed. The best place of refreshment is getting in the presence of the Lord. Because when you get refreshed in the presence of the Lord, that touches your soul. Not just your body, it touches your soul. And that's the real refreshment. Going to the gym is one thing to keep our bodies working, but getting in the presence of God to have our soul revived. Nothing like it. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you realize today that you just kind of let go of God. Realizing that you haven't been like God let go of me, you haven't gone that far, but you've let go of God. You say this morning, I'm regripping. I'm regripping for this new year. And I'm not going to let go. Thank you, Father, for how you so graciously lead us and teach us like a good father. And that's who you are. And we thank you today for Jesus, an incredible son that came and lived his life in a way that we could be victorious in anything that we face. And God, I pray that you would show us what we need to regrip today so that we could have more of the fullness and a greater level of faith flow through our lives to others that need it. 
In Jesus' name.